It's good to be here this morning. We've got about eight families out at the Houston County Lake, uh, the Curtin Campers, camping this morning, and I told them all they were slackers. So uh, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord, worshiping together. Uh, let's see, Joaquin, Grace, they have our scripture and our prayer this morning. Would you please be standing as they come and lead us in the reading of God's word and in prayer. And Joaquin, it's a pretty good reading, so I'll let him do the reading, and he'll tell you what it is. Um, I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Large crowds were, gather, or were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you in saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long ways off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is to be thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Amen. Um, Lord, thank you for letting us all be able to come to church today and gather and worship you. Um, please help those who are sick to get better and those who need your help, Lord, please bless them. Um, today I come asking that you help us spread your word, Lord, and let us teach others about your awesomeness and let us just worship you and let others and let us show others the light that you have given us while we still have the time to, Lord. And let us not take a second that we have for granted, Lord. And please let us just let others learn about you and spread your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. It is good to be here this morning. Hope you've had a good week. I think fall is finally here. I think that uh, we've been teased long enough, and fall has showed up, and that's a blessing, the cooler weather, and we've got some good rain, and uh, that was a blessing for, uh, for the land, and uh, so we have much to be thankful for. I'm going to take a couple of weeks' diversion from Isaiah. We'll connect back to it. Uh, this past week was uh, so blessed to be able to do ministry. I cannot... Uh, I don't believe that I can adequately explain uh, with words the sense, uh, the spirit, uh, the intellect, the emotion, and even the physical blessings of 
uh, just doing ministry and, and being involved in ministry, uh, interacting, obviously, with God, His Spirit, His Word, and His people. Uh, this week was just another stark reminder for me, uh, the series of events, things that take place. You've heard me say uh, over the years that I don't, uh, I don't, and by the way, this December, Tammy and I will have been here three years, so, uh, but uh, this week, and as you've heard me say, I just don't believe in coincidence, and I love that passage that Joaquin just read, and that admonition from the Lord about being a disciple, the cost of following him, uh, the way it, the way it should look. Uh, and then he ends that passage, said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, if, if we're paying attention in our daily lives, from the time we get up to the time we go to bed, if we're paying attention, um, the hand of God is obvious. I believe that. Uh, the Spirit of God is obvious. Uh, the heart of God, the mind of God is obvious. We can see it everywhere in, uh, in our daily lives. And, and I was reminded uh, very clearly of that this week. Danny Alewine was at MD Anderson. Um, and uh, just that in and of itself was such an experience. I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. Uh, Cora uh, Younger is... Uh, is uh, she's at a really pivotal time in her life. Uh, the struggle and the battle that she's fighting, I will tell you that, and I'm sure that um, many of you, if not most of you, uh, know her far better than I do, but it is my impression of her that she is a remarkable woman. Talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Rick Dubeck, um, who's had some health issues with a, a spike, uh, but a a down spike, his blood pressure drops. And he went and they did a cath, a cath this week. Heart's fine, but they don't know what is wrong. And so uh, I, I observed three families, three families in a very short period of time this week, and they all need our prayers, uh, facing uh, very serious health issues. Of course, fighting this battle with uh, gastric uh, cancer, Danny's been fighting his battle for over a year now with his cancer. Actually, and I don't know if you're aware of this, his first time at MD Anderson was in 1964 when he was four years old fighting cancer. And uh, listening to his mom talk about that was, was eye-opening. So uh, those are folks, obviously, that need our prayers. And there's always those folks. I, I see Scott Cronauer sitting here, and, you know, I, I very clearly remember everything that you've dealt with and still recovering from. And you just look out within uh, the body here, and you, we're all obviously, uh, you know, we're connected. We should be. It's called, the Bible says, the fellowship of the believers, the fellowship. And so as we're a family and we have a fellowship, and we're the body of Christ, you know, all of us, I mean, we're, we're directly and indirectly affected by those things that we're suffering with. And uh, these are just health issues. I, my dad turned 85 years old. Uh, you know, a week ago, October 3rd, a little more than a week ago. And just with that event and being at MD Anderson and Scott and White and St. Joe's and, um, you know, really spending, got to spend some time with my dad. And, and when you get older and these kids don't realize it, uh, I'd even, you kids don't realize it, even in your 20s, you start to. But when you get older uh, and 
you see your parents differently. It, and I think that's an ongoing process. Uh, but, you know, it, it is. In, in ministry, I've observed it uh, over the years. And then watching my father, 85 years old, uh, just this beacon in my life. He, just a beacon of strength, intellectual strength, emotional strength. Um, you know, and, and he's 85, he's becoming frail. But I've, I've seen God's hand in that and, and, and even the transition that he's going through in his life and decisions he's going to have to make. I was also at the Little League Baseball Park this week, and that's always, a, that's always an experience. And uh, watching parents uh, who are just so invested in the lives of their kids and wanting their kids to succeed out there on the baseball field and, and the kids and that whole experience. And so... We live. We had, a, I thought, an especially good time with our Zim on Wednesday night. Uh, we, were, we were discussing a passage that I'm going to visit where, uh, very quickly. But that's what brought this message together this morning. So I, I'd ask that you open your Bibles to the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. Third chapter of Ecclesiastes. Our young folks are getting there. Um, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You want to be in both those places. We'll start in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And then go to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this is what we're studying in our Zim class on Wednesday nights, our Zion Youth Ministry. Verse 12, uh, Solomon writes, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 12, I know, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. I know that. I know there's nothing better for you and I, for men, uh, than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks uh, sees good in all his labor, it's the gift of God. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever, for there's nothing to add to it and there's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. For God has so worked that men should fear him. You can go to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Actually, it's repeated more than once in Proverbs. But we, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we read here that uh, for God has so worked that men should fear him. And now let's move forward here. That, that which is has been already, and that which will be has already been for God seeks what has passed by. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice, there's wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there's wickedness. And listen to this. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed uh, is there. Listen to this. I said to myself, God will judge both, both the righteous man and the wicked man uh, for a time for every matter and for every deed uh, is there. Hmm. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Those of you who are a little bit older, I know because I've done the research and the history and listened to some of the great old sermons. And when I say old, uh, sermons that were preached, I've read, read and listened 
in the uh, post-World War II, the 40s and the 50s, and even in the early 60s, if, if you went to a, a mainstream, a conservative, fundamentally Bible-believing, conservative uh, church, uh, whatever that, the name on that would have been, but if you went to a Bible-believing, uh, fundamentally conservative church, you would have heard fairly regularly sermons on judgment, the judgment, God's judgment. You just would have. Uh, we've really transitioned away from that. I, I, I would say if you, I don't know how many of you in, in the last 10 years of your life, and you're, if you've been faithful in church attendance, how, how many sermons that you could recall where uh, the preacher spoke on the judgment of God? The judgment of God. There's been a shift culturally, and it's resonated from the pulpits where uh, there was a, a, a historic time that our preachers preached very clearly about the coming judgment of God. And then, culturally, we've shifted away from that message. It's not a message that uh, you would hear. In fact, I would wager that if you just were to turn on your TV and go to some of the different uh, televangelists, or if you were just listening to the radio, you wouldn't hear a lot of contemporary younger Preachers speaking on judgment today from the pulpit in, uh, in America. I just don't believe you would. But yet here it is in the scripture. And we, if we just looked at every verse where the scripture very clearly says that, that there's going to be a moment, a time. There's going to be a time when the trumpet blows. There's going to be a time where the heaven opens. There's going to be a time when Christ will appear. There's going to be a time that we are brought before the judgment seat of God. There's going to be a time as we are before the judgment seat of God, the, the judgment seat of God that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And there's going to be a time when the Lamb's book of life is opened. And in that time, you're going to hear one of two things. Depart from me. I did not know you. I never knew you. Or well done, good and faithful servant. That's going to happen. We live between two times. If you understand the Bible in its totality, chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You go all the way to Revelation, it ends, Lord, come quickly, Lord, come quickly, amen. And then in between, from Genesis moving forward, you just had, you had Genesis. And then when you get to chapter 6, you had the creation, you had Adam and Eve, and then you had the descendants of Seth and the descendants of Cain. And when you get to chapter 6 of Genesis, the scripture reads that God was very sorry that he had made man because wickedness was only on his heart. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And, and we have the story of the flood, the descendants of Noah moving forward. And then you have the great patriarchs in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the story of Joseph, the 12 sons of Jacob. You have those great stories. And then you have a Pharaoh that, that didn't know Joseph, the great exodus. And God's people fell into slavery and bondage. But God heard their cry, and he sent them Moses, a great deliverer. And Moses accomplishes the will of God, and God accomplishes his will through Moses, and he leads the, his people, the Hebrews, out of Egyptian slavery. You know the story, the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments. I'm sure you do. His story. And God gave them law. 
He gave them Leviticus. He gave them his word, Torah, law. The ways that they should be governed. The statutes and ordinances of God. This is how you're supposed to live as my holy people. This is what it is. Moses never got to go into the promised land. The children of Israel wandered around the desert for 40 years because they were grumblers and they were complainers. But then another generation rose, and it was Joshua's generation. And Joshua would take his children, God's children, into the promised land. And you move forward, there was a time where there were judges. And then there were kings. Saul was the first one, and then David, and then Solomon, and then, and then a host of very wicked kings and some righteous. And then finally, the... the, the, the Ten tribes that made up the northern territory were Israel. They finally succumbed to some uh, oppression. They had been oppressed by the Philistines, the Assyrians, the, Assyrians, the Medes, the Persians, ultimately the Greeks, uh, all these. And so they, they fall. The ten, they, and then Judah falls, the, the final two kingdoms, and they fall. So all of the 12 tribes, they all fall. And they go into captivity, Babylonian captivity. And throughout Genesis chapter 1, all the way to the captivity, there's a promise. There's a promise of a Messiah. He'd be born in Bethlehem of a virgin. And so the nation was waiting for this moment. And the moment came. And you have Matthew, and you have Mark, and you have Luke, and you have John. John ends his gospel with, I write these things so that you might believe. There's so much more to write, but I wrote these things that you believe, and believing you'd have eternal life. So we have the life of Jesus fulfilled in all the prophetic sayings Genesis uh, through Malachi. God said, in spite of who you are, and your rebellion, and your sin, and your idolatry, your adulterous behavior, I'm going to send a Messiah. And he came. And he lived. And he was a man that was a man, a man of many signs and wonders. And people were amazed at his authority and his teaching. Nobody's ever taught like this man. He teaches as one with authority. And he was conspired against. And he was illegally, illegally, Roman and Jewish law, illegally violated to have him arrested and convicted and crucified. And we know the story. Three days later, he arose from the death of a tomb. The grave. We know the story that he told the apostles to go to Jerusalem and wait till you receive power on high. We know the story of his ascension into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God as the judge and savior of all men. There's only one event left. Everything's been accomplished. There's only one event left, church, and that's the second coming of Jesus. We live between the cross and the second coming of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please God. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. If you have read through the book of Acts, you know that from the second chapter of the book of Acts, Grace, it said this wonderful statement. The day of Pentecost happens. 
so many souls. Hearts were pierced through the preaching of Peter. Peter, And they said, what must we do? And and there was repentance and there was baptism. And the church was started just as Jesus said it would be in Matthew 16. He said, I'm going to build a church and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. And the day of Pentecost, it happened. We got a church. Church. And but when you get, it says, it was so wonderful. It said, they had all things in common. They were sharing and breaking bread together. And then you get to the sixth chapter and they're already fighting. They're arguing over which widows get fed first. So they had to have deacons. And then there's this great persecution, and we get to the 8th chapter. God's people are dispersed. And in in this struggle, they're fulfilling. Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, he told his apostles, listen, I want you to go into all the world, preach the gospel, Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, 16. But he says, you come to Jerusalem and you wait. You're going to receive power on high, and you're going to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. And so that's happening. It's just happened, and it's happened, and it's happened. Everything the Bible said was going to happen, it happened. And it happened just according, and God moved and willed through his sovereign way, and even through the great struggle and persecution, God's word and his people would spread, and the gospel would be spread, and the church would grow. And you and I are here in Curtin, Texas today. Because God willed that he would have a people set apart to honor him through all of eternity. Serve him and serve others. Bless him and bless others. So here we are today. And you know what? We're married. We get married. And then we have kids. And we got to pay bills. And we got to make career choices. You know? And we start businesses. And we get an education. And sometimes the marriages fall apart and we get divorced. And then just through the daily course of living, you know, we live in a country where where we're having to make decisions almost regularly about, you know, what's important. And then we we live on a, a global planet where, you know, there's a lot of crazy people out there. There's the Hitlers and the Khomeini. There's all these people historically. And then we have nuclear weapons. And we're just Christians. We're Christians. And we're living. We got global issues. We got our own personal issues. We got family. Then we got health issues. And we just do the best we can. And it sometimes doesn't seem fair. We see people that live foolish lives and, and then nothing happens to them. And then here I am and I, what? I have cancer? M.D. Anderson. I just tell you, I believe this is all in my heart. I've only been there a handful of times. But I believe from the time you pull up to the parking lot with the parking attendants to the surgeon's hands, I believe God is being honored there. That's my personal opinion. I believe that. I believe all authority and knowledge comes from God. We only have an M.D. Anderson and because God has willed that we would have that knowledge and the people that could do those things with his knowledge that he has granted him. And so there's healing. And you just, you just, he who has eyes to see and ears to hear, you look around and you see all day long in this MDA, this fifth 
floor of this surgical waiting room and it's just clockwork and there's volunteers coming in and, and they're serving you coffee and doctors coming out and surgical nurses and a computer there and this is what's happening and this is where we're at in the surgery and this is what's going and they call you in a little room and it's so well organized from the valet parking to everything. It's this city in the midst of a massive city and all this confusion and daily living and sin and all the just darkness of man and, and then the light too and the body of Christ and and it's just this great stage. And you know what I saw there all day long? All day long. Worried about my friend, a member of this church. I saw people praying all day long. People praying. People I never even knew. People I had no, would never know. People I never see. People that, we live in this dark world. And you just see it all day long. The nurse comes out. The, the surgeon comes out. The volunteer. And then the next day somebody gives up. And then people are huddled up and they're praying. Praying all day. Just praying. People, not, not, they're not on their phone. Yeah, but lots of people were on their phone. You know what? I saw at least a dozen people with a Bible in their hands waiting. Four-hour surgery, two-hour surgery, eight-hour surgery, nine-hour surgery. You know, all the people with their Bible, a Bible, a literal Bible, reading their Bible, praying. I thought, you know, there's probably more praying and Bible reading going on right here in MD Anderson than most of the churches in America. So it's funny when that, that's kind of some... Then you have, you got Cora Younger. Oh, Cora. Very private. I have to tell you some great story about her. You know, she's really tough. I think we, I just think this generation, I wish you really could learn something from our older folks. There's a toughness to them, a fiber to them, a backbone to them. I just wish you could. I was so blessed. You got Cora. 89 years old, fighting a stomach cancer. And the surgeon comes in and said, look, there's blockage. Now, it could be scar tissue. Bear with me. Or it could be the cancer. If it's scar tissue, we'll open you up and I can fix it. If it's cancer, there's nothing we can do. We just got to get ready for hospice. And she goes, I'm okay with that. She has a surgery. They have to reroute the small intestine, large intestine. She's got a colostomy bag. She's got cancer. And they're coming in and they're talking to her about hospice. Now, I just got to tell you this. This is so fabulous. So, this was less than 24 hours from having the surgery. And it, it, they cut her open, rerouted her intestines. She's in the bed. And she's in the bed. And she goes, I need to sit up. And the nurse, and they're all in there, Jimmy, and, you know, uh, I mean, everybody's in there. Gail, Marie, Tommy. And she says, well, let me go get the nurse. She goes, I don't, I don't, you don't need to get the nurse. She said, give me that thing. Huh? So she just reaches over and gets the bed adjusted. So she adjusts the bed by herself. We're all standing there. And then she just takes herself, 89 years old, split, and she just takes herself, and she just pushes herself up. And like she's 20 years old. I've been in a lot of house rooms, <laughs> rooms, folks, and the nurse just tries to look at us. And Cora said, she says, I, I've never been a lazy woman. She said, I've never been a lazy woman. And she wasn't bragging. What a tough generation. And then they come in and explain the hospice to her. She knows where she's going. And I could just go on, but I'm not going to. I want to go to 2 Corinthians 5 because uh, I'm going to read some 
few verses. Well, this, all this has to do with you and me being the church in judgment. Something I said to the Zim kids. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For we know, we know, that if the earthly tent, which is our home, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. We know this. First century church knew it. Preachers preached on it. The apostles wrote about it. We know there's a physical, this, all this physical stuff going on. But what we know is that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house, we groan. We groan. We groan. Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Do you? Do we? Church? Inasmuch as we have put it, having put it on, uh, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he has prepared for us, the, now he, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. And all Paul is saying is that as long as you're alive physically, it's temporary, and the best you can hope for is groaning. The body's going to get older. There's going to be, there needs to be, there has to be something better. We as the believers believe that. We know this is temporary. It's a tent. It's a building. And when you're 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 50, you don't know it. But I'm going to tell you, you start getting 30, 40, 50, you're going to know it. And you're going to see the trouble and all the divorce and all the darkness and all the, all the stuff. And there can be great joy in life. I'm not saying there isn't. But the truth is, you get older and you begin to realize, you say, man, I, I didn't realize that I woke up, I'm 60 years old one day. I've got arthritis. My eyes are failing. My strength is going. I mean, I'm watching people all around me. You start attending more funerals. You see all the despair in the world. And you just groan, whether you know it or not. Your spirit is groaning. But we're optimists and we live by faith and we're moving forward. And he paints this picture, but now what does he say? Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that when we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we live, walk by faith, uh, not by sight. We're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. He writes that to the Philippians. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, I'll serve him. If I die, how much better I get to go be with him. Do you believe that? The older you get, maybe you should. Be nice if we could learn it young. So here we go. Hmm. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, our ambition. I'm going to challenge you here the way Paul challenged the first century church in Corinth. What is your ambition? And what does it have to do with judgment? Here it is. Therefore, also, we have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Why? Here it is, church. Here it is. Have you lived long enough to groan? Have you lived long enough to be worried and despaired? Have you lived long enough to be heartbroken? Have you lived long enough to be betrayed? Have you, have you, have you lived long 
enough that somebody you trusted and loved, you just loved them so much, that person is gone or that person may have hurt you or that, I don't know. Have you lived long enough to see your family divided? Have you lived long enough to see people that are supposed to be honorable do the wrong thing? Have you lived long enough to see the wickedness where there should be justice? Wickedness where there should be righteousness. Have you lived long enough to see that's just not fair? Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Now listen here, church, listen. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds of the body, in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Do you believe that? And if you don't, why? Do you understand it? So I said this to the Zim kids Wednesday night. I'm going to finish here. Nicole asked a great question about judgment. What is that judgment? Is it heaven? Is it hell? Is it, you know? And I said to the kids, Don Vesey said to me later, he said, you know, that was the first time. He said, I didn't hear that until I was 50 years old. I wish somebody had said that to me when I was their age. So, you know what, every one of us, the elders, your pastor, your mom, your dad, you know what we wish we could do? That's what I said. I wish we could take the top of your head off and just pour in there everything that we could. But we know pretty much we can warn you. We know we can take you to Sunday school. We can put you in VBS. We can send you to summer camp. We can, we can pray for you, but we pretty much know that ultimately everything we say to you, everything we teach you, everything we want to direct you, all the wisdom we we know pretty much, pretty much, you're going to have to find out on your own. We, we know. And we hate that. And that's why we, 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 man, we get frustrated. And we try to intervene. And we want to discipline you. And we hate it when you lie to us. And we hate it when we, because we know we've, we were there. We hate it when we see you getting tempted and wanting something, which you know, we know you, you shouldn't want that. It's not going to be good. And so we do want you to go to vacation Bible school, and we want you to go to Zim, and we want you to come to church, and we want you to do all this stuff. But I want to culminate it all in one thing. I, so, yes, I think all those things are valuable. But if I could say one thing to you, if you believe in the judgment of God, if you believe that we're all going to stand before, kneel before him, if you believe that, if you believe there's only one event left to that, it's the second coming. Here's the one thing. Here's the goal. I'd love for you to come to church every time the doors open. Hebrews 10, 24, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. I'd like that. There's a lot of things I'd like. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want to know. This is the goal of your pastor. This is what I want the church to know. This is what Paul wanted them to know. You want to know what it really is? It really is. You want to, you want to approach judgment without fear? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But the scripture, John says, perfect love drives out fear. But you know what perfect love does? It has an ambition. And the ambition is whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him. To be pleasing to him. In light of who you are and who I am, I'm going to ask you a question. If you believe in the judgment, 
Do you fear that day? Why would you fear it? You can't be good enough to be saved. You can't earn your salvation. And yet, there's a very clear picture here, church. All of us are going to be before the judgment seat of God. And, and there's going to be only one of two messages again, I repeat. Depart from me. Or well done, good and faithful servant. Not because you've earned your salvation. But if God has saved you, church, and this is what I wish you could know, this is what I wish every complaining, whining, moaning, divisive church member could know. This is what I wish every moaning, complaining, whining pastor could know. Elder, pastor, church member. It's real simple. In light of judgment, have your ambition. Have your ambition to please God. You, you can't, you won't ever be able to do it 100%. But I'm going to tell you, a healthy pastor, a healthy church, a healthy Christian marriage, a healthy Christian youth, you can't know that whole Bible, probably not. You can't pray enough, can't go to church enough, but you can have a heart that if you start to face things in your life, that you could just have this great side, is this going to please God? Is my sexual behavior going to please God? If I'm complaining about something, is it going to please God? If I'm worried about something, is it going to please God? If, I, if I'm creating drama or, or, or being divisive as somebody, if I'm over-worried or over, is it pleasing God? If you could just start there. If you could just, you know, all of us start there. If your pastor could start there. If the elders, if this church, if the worship leader, the choir, all of us, if we could just have an ambition to please God. I think most of our unsavory thoughts, most of our anger, frustration, anxiety would, would at least stop. And then if you put it in light of the judgment. And so the only thing left then is determine what's pleasing to God. And that's our job as teachers and preachers. And, but it's your job. If it's your ambition, because here's the truth. It doesn't take very long to find out what somebody's ambition is. Not very long at all. Spend a little bit of time, ask them a few questions, listen and watch. Somebody's ambition becomes pretty, pretty obvious. Self-promotion, self-protection, self-driven. pleasing me. I had a Bible study with our men this week and on this very passage. Passage out of actually Philippians. And, and I appreciated what the men said. They said, you know, 
mostly my life, the goal of my life, is to please me. That's what we struggle with, isn't it? So when you see Jesus Christ in the garden and you have a visual picture of him on the cross, what was his ambition? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. What was his ambition in washing the feet of men? He was trying to teach servants to, to, to become servant, and they would betray him, all of them. What was his ambition? Pleasing God. So the word is here. We've been challenged. Before the judgment day comes, my prayer for you and me in this church is that our ambition is an ambition to please God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that anything in our life, in my life, Father, if it's not pleasing to you, Father, I pray that you remove it. I pray that as a church and in this congregation, if we're not, the ambition of this church is not to please you. Be pleasing to you. I ask that you remove it. Remove the spirit. Remove whatever it is. The unhappiness, the bitterness, divisiveness, whatever it is, Father. And I pray that you create in each of us a desire to know more fully how to please you. Just how to please you, Father. Not please ourselves, but to please you. To know you so well that we would know what it is to please you. And that that would be our ambition. Our desires and when the trumpet blows and the clouds are spread apart and your son appears in his glorious return. When that Lamb's book of life is open, Father. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you. We're thankful for the ambition of your son. We pray that his ambition is ours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.